Daniel 3. We do not know how much time has lapsed between Daniel 2 and Daniel 3. But it was enough time for good old King Nebuchadnezzar to kind of get full of himself again, right? So, two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of King Nebuchadnezzar, or the world kingdom, kingdom that's in the lap of Satan, or the kingdom of Almighty God, are in opposition throughout time. So this is what's happening here in 3. It continues on. So King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 1, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits in its breadth and 6 cubits, and he set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So we don't know if this image looked like, we don't know what it looked like, but it was an image, okay? And it was solid gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, solid gold, and it was placed on a plane in Dura, so it could be in plain sight of everybody, okay? It, because it doesn't tell us it looked like him, that's not the issue. The point is that he made it, he made it, and he set it out there, so, and, and he could control everybody to come and worship. Now, this plain of Dura, um, it was, for miles you could see, the plain of Babylon, okay? Nebuchadnezzar is saying with this gold image that, my head's the head of gold. I just don't want to be the head. I'm going to be the whole blooming thing. And I'm not going to have Daniel's God tell me when that kingdom of silver comes in, it's going to knock it down. I am going to have a lasting kingdom. I am going to make a name of myself forever. And I'm the one in charge to to do this, and I'm the one to tell my people how they're going to worship. This is what was going on here. He wanted his rule to endure. Well, if we go to Isaiah 14, 12. This is the famous Satan's I will. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, who laid, who la- you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart... I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. This is a theme that's been playing out through history, and this is what's going on now. He's wanting to make a name for himself. He's rebelling against God, sinful man, just in the lap of Satan. Verse 2, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the perfects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, and all the officials. Satraps are lieutenants, perfects are princes, all the important people. He brought all of them together for the dedication of the province, in the province, to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This plain of Dura 
is the same plain where the Tower of Babel once stood. Now, if we go back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis, it had two goals. The first goal was the builders were attempting to make a lasting legacy for themselves. We know that from Genesis 11.4. Let me just look at that real, I mean, I should have bookmarked it, but I know where Genesis is, so we're going to go there right now. Genesis 11, 4. It's important to hear what they said here. 11, 4. They say, then they said, the people, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Two things going on there. One is they're going to make a name for themselves, a lasting legacy, a self-glorification. And the second one is they're going to prevent the people from scattering throughout the earth. We know that God said in Genesis 28 to the people, multiply, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Spread out, fill the earth. Satan's in direct opposition of that. So we're going to gather together to Tower of Babel. We're going to hang together. We're going to do this. And God even said if they hang together like that, it could be very dangerous what they're capable of. We are seeing that today. I'll get more into that maybe, but don't get me really started, okay? <laughs> um, but there's nothing new here going on today that it wasn't happening back then. So, so they wanted to make a name for themselves, self-glorification, and they wanted to keep the people united. I had a woman once asked me, she was a young mom, and she didn't know if she should have more kids or not because of the world's falling apart. And, he, and I just said, you know, that verse in Genesis said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. As far as I know, God hasn't taken that back yet, Right? Right? So let's keep having babies, right, Winnie? <laughs> we like babies. So the same idea is happening here. This is being put on the same plane where the Tower of Babel was. Nebuchadnezzar's had, statue had the same two goals. He wanted to establish his testimony to his glory forever, and he was going to pull all these people in. They all came in. He was unifying his kingdom. He was gathering all of these leaders together. Verse 3. I won't go verse by verse very long, but I want to establish this. Verse 3. Then all these officials come on in. They all gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up. He's the man. He's got control. He has them all standing there. He's controlling all of them. Throughout history more recent history than the Tower of Babel, we know that totalitarian states, total control of the, of the government or the uh, ruling body, they usually have symbols of unity. If we look at Rome, it had Caesar. If we look at China, there's Mao. Look at the Soviet Union, we have Len Lenin. And these are when totalitarian states, when they get the, the, the uh, people in authority get... Uh, um, they want everyone to have an allegiance to the government first. First and foremost, it's your government. And then, secondly, you can choose whatever God, you know, religious freedom, you can choose whatever God you want to, you, you want to worship or whatever. Well, 
As Christians, we find ourselves buttoned up against that from time to time. And it's going to, we're going to find ourselves with that more and more. We have, if you watch any of the news, if you, dig, if you have other news sources besides the main t- uh, news stations, we, you've probably all heard of the one world government and all the plan, and you know, they've been talking about one world government for a long, long time. This is the same idea. One group of people going to control everybody and going to dictate, okay, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. You'll only have to go 15 minutes from your house or whatever it's going to be. You won't need to drive a car. Whatever, whatever they've got cooking, okay, this, is the, this has been going on for a long time. This is Satan is behind all of this, losing our freedoms and losing our freedom and ability to serve God above everything else. So it puts Christians in a dilemma because sometimes that bumps up against it. So this is what we're looking at with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're going to learn from them how to go through that and how to even navigate the world that we live in. Verses 4 and 5 tell us what the requirements were to worship this image, all right? Which is just amazing. It's almost like comical. I, I, I see that, you know, God laughs at the wicked and... You know, I'm sure it was very serious at this time, but let's take a look at this. Okay, and the people herald, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, and when you hear the sound, now look, look at these instruments, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tigron, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of, every kind of music, okay, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So it's almost like the Muslim call to prayer, except you don't know when it's going to happen, just when you start hearing this music. Now, I hesitate even with the word music here, because not me, but another commentator looked at these musical instruments and realized that there's no harmony here. It's what is what's called a concophony. Concophony? Chaos, harmony, jarring, irritating, bizarre. It was a bizarre orchestra. And when they were supposed to hear this noise, they were supposed to fall down and worship. Now, I don't know about you, but even if I didn't want to fall down and worship, I may go like this (laughs) and cover our ears up because the sound was so horrific. So that was the... That was what the, um, the instructions were on how to, to deal with this when they heard this. This was Nebuchadnezzar putting himself in control of the people, flexing his power. Just probably lifted his hand whenever these noises was heard. And I don't know if, how far-reaching it was, but it probably the sound carriage. All right, well, there's three nonconformists in the group. So... We don't know how many days went on when they were doing this, you know, and he was having fun. Oh, let's just raise our, let's just, hey, start the orchestra again. Let's just see, is everybody, you know, whatever. And he's just, and all the people had to stop what they're doing, bow down and worship this thing. Um, and so, but eventually, these three nonconformists um, got noticed. Now, we don't know where Daniel was. Some people say, well, maybe he was out of town doing something. But if he was there, he probably would have been four nonconformists, all right? So you have a sea of people bowing down, like, like a lot of the Muslims do, all the way flat down, 
and you see three men standing with their heads up, they are going to be noticed. And they're standing because God has told them not to bow down and worship any other image, but only to worship the one true God. So this was obviously a time that when, as Christians, you take a stand for God, you're going to be noticed. Sometimes you take a, we take a stand for God, and it's not noticed. We can kind of stay hidden in the crowd or whatever, um, or not show up at an event because we didn't like it or don't support something, all right? Um, but even so, even in private, we have a great cloud of witnesses. The angelic beings watch us just with interest to see how God is going to deal with us. So we have this great cloud of witnesses that is always watching us, and we always have God who's watching us. We always have him watching us. Why is he always watching us? One of the attributes of God is his omniscience. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is infinitely aware of everything. He has understanding and he has insight. God's omniscience is one of the characteristics of him in his kingdom that we're going to find out that Nebuchadnezzar didn't have, right? Nebuchadnezzar is not omniscient. Why do we know that? Because he didn't notice these guys standing up. He had to be told, didn't he? He had to be told. So, moving on in verse 8. Therefore, at that certain time, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward, and they're part of the wise men group, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, king. And, look, and listen to the way they phrase this. They're very crafty in how they word it in just a way to bring about the most irritation in this king. Start out by, Oh, king, you're so great and everything. And you have made this wonderful decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn and all these instruments shall bow down and worship the golden image. And whoever doesn't bow down or worship the cat uh, will shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who have, that you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, which is a lie, and they do not serve your gods or worship your gods' image, which is true, that you have set up. So why were these Chaldeans so maliciously coming after these young Jewish boys? Because these young Jewish boys are put in charge of their province because of something that Daniel had asked um, Nebuchadnezzar. When Daniel um, interpreted the king's dream, he requested that um, his friends would be in nice places. So these Chaldeans, these certain Chaldeans, were probably very jealous these Jewish boys are exiles. They don't even belong here. And now they're put in charge of us. We know how the workplace works, right? We know this stuff kind of stuff happens. And so there was jealousy. And after a while, because they were under the authority of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was some resentment going on and everything. So they saw this opportunity when the, these three men did not bow down. They saw it as an opportunity to, aha, we're going to get them now. We're going to go to the king 
and we're going to tattle on them. So they were tattletales. Perfect opportunity. But they were liars because it wasn't like they didn't pay any attention to the king, right? But they wanted to really just, this was their chance to be able to get rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what does one do when we're obeying when obeying the state laws conflict with obeying God's laws, right? When we're pressured to disobey biblical teachings or to conform. Well, remember at the very first part of Daniel 1, Daniel had resolved himself, chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel had resolved that he would not defile himself with the food or with anything else. So probably his friends also because of what happened with all that. They were blessed because of that, and how they're realizing the more that we honor God and put him first and serve God only and stay true to the, his, the commands that we, we've been taught, um, we will stick with that, and we know that he will take care of us. Okay, so they had resolved themselves to do this. They did not compromise. They did not conform. And that's a hard thing to happen when you're looking at something like a fiery furnace to do. Authority, our government, authority over us is placed there by God, yes. He sets them up and he takes them down. And we're to respect that authority. But that position does not make them God. Okay? God puts them there. We're supposed to respect it, but they are not God. And when there's a conflict between what our God, the ultimate authority and who we worship, is in conflict with what this one that run by, you know, fallen man, then there's no compromise. It's a no-brainer, and we're going to find that out here. That's happening. There's a no-brainer. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar, bring, he's furious. He's furious. He's in a furious rage. So he commands, bring, bring these guys in. They brought these men in before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and all those things, every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from, the, from my hands? So, something to notice here, when he was making the first decree, it was like, okay, anyone, you hear the music, bow down and worship. If you don't, you will immediately be thrown into the fire furnace. He's giving these guys a second chance. What's with that, right? He's giving them a second chance, you know, just try this again, let's play the music, let's see you guys, you know, I know you probably didn't mean it. Maybe he liked them because he liked Daniel, I don't know, but, you know, he gave them a second chance. They, and he's mocking their God. The last part of verse 15, he says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This guy's asking for trouble, isn't he? He is messing with Almighty God. We know that um, Matthew 4 is when Jesus was being tempted by Satan. In verse 5, the devil took him on the holy city and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off. 
For it is written, God will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, and you won't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. So, who knows what Nebuchadnezzar was doing here. He was very arrogant and full of himself to say, you know, go ahead. Who's going to save you? I'm going to do that to you because you're not obeying me. And there's, what, what kind of God is going to save you from my control, okay? Two worlds, kingdom of man, kingdom of God, they're, they're spawning it out. Well, at least the kingdom of man thinks he's spawning it out. So verse 16, I love their answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What are they saying here? They're saying, we don't, need a, we don't need a second chance. We don't need to think about this anymore. We don't need any more evidence. We don't need any more rationalized reasons or anything like that. Um, they, they, they knew the scriptures. They didn't need any more new information to do this. They didn't need the threat of looking at that. F- f- I, they keep saying, burning fiery furnace. I'm going to name my fireplace the burning fiery furnace. It is... <laughs> sitting right there and all its angry flames and everything. He says, we don't need that. We don't need, that's not going to change anything. Nothing's going to change because we have resolved ourselves to be obedient to God. We know the scriptures. We know what God says about this. We don't need a second chance on this, okay? That's where sometimes we get into trouble when we start to realize, oh, well, rationalize it away in time. We start to bend. We start to compromise. We see the threat. It's real because they're standing there in the room with this burning, fiery furnace. Um, and we can open ourselves up to get off of what we know in our hearts. That's why resolving ourselves and knowing the Scripture enough and planning it in our hearts and sticking to it even in the little things in life will keep us when the big things come about. They had resolved themselves to serve only God. Don't even entertain the thoughts of these other things. You know, and that's where the battle is, you guys. It's in our minds. Take every thought captive to God. Should I even be thinking about, oh, I might lose my life if I go in there? God, No. Take every thought captive to God. Sanctification is about the renewing of the mind. We stay true with our thoughts. That is the only thing we can control in life is our thinking. If you don't believe that, you can talk to me later. We choose what we're going to think about. We choose it. I'm not going to think about that. I got stuff now, you know, I keep seeing, I'm not going to think about God, I'm going to commit that to you. It pops up, not God, I'm just going to commit it to you. Keep pushing it out of your head. We have control over what we think about. So, they... They knew scriptures. Secondly, they did not compromise because they knew that God was sovereign. They knew that God was all-powerful. In verse 17 and 18, they say they knew that God was physically able to rescue them. God was all-powerful. He was physically able to rescue them. But they didn't know if if rescuing them was part of of his divine plan. We don't know that. 
But we know that he can. We know he can do it just like that. But we don't know what God's divine plan is sometimes, okay? So we have to stay open to that. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he say? And that was a lot worse than a burning, fiery furnace, right? If it's possible, please let this cup pass from me, okay? God's choice, it's God's choice whether he was going to glorify himself in Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego's deaths, or if he was going to glorify himself through their deliverance. Either way, it wouldn't have affected their decision. Live or die, they would be faithful to God. This is what we have to resolve ourselves to. And then I didn't know that we were going to sing that song today, but it's perfect. Still, I am not ashamed, for I know whom, him whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard and keep that which has been entrusted to me and which I have committed until this day. We are his. We are in his kingdom. Remember last week we talked about being taken from the dominion of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the son he loves. We're in his kingdom. We're not in the kingdom of the world. That's out there past all this stuff. So they knew scriptures They knew God was sovereign, all-powerful, and they were willing to die for their convictions. They had no fear. I honestly think that those guys were not sweating. They may have been sweaty because it was a hot room, but I do not think that they were any, their knees were not shaking, right? We don't face fire, burning fiery furnaces every day. We don't. Thank goodness. I don't know if we'll come to that or not, but we usually don't. But we do face lesser trials all the time. And God gives us the grace that's sufficient for our immediate need. It's like manna. Grace is like manna. Because I remember we were talking, you probably were talking in your groups too, about, gee, I don't know what I would have done if I was there. I I don't know. Do you guys talk about that in your group? Yeah. (laughs) And it's just interesting because it makes you ponder. But know this. Grace is like the manna in the wilderness. He doesn't give you it ahead of time so you store it up. He gives it to you each moment when you know you need it. And we can rest assured, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that if we are facing the open door of the burning fiery furnace, God's grace will be sufficient. So we can all answer that and say with confidence, I'll be okay. I won't compromise. I won't bend because I have resolved myself. Besides, dying might kind of be a relief sometimes, you know? Don't you have those days where you think, oh man, I got jealous. I heard someone die. It's like, you know what? But it's okay, God. We carry on. We carry on. There's still a lot of good stuff out there, all right? So, God is also, He is omniscient, and God is also omnipotent. So, God is a far superior God than King Nebuchadnezzar right now. He is omnipotent. He has all the power. There is unlimited power and unlimited authority, authority even over those flames in that burning fiery furnace, which we're going to find out. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar is an all-knowing. 
and Nebuchadnezzar isn't all-powerful. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even save his own people because who got burnt up? The mighty men that were next to the door. All right, he's pretty burning fiery furnace himself at this point, isn't he? All right, in verse 19. After they tell him, hey, it's not going to matter. We, you know, throw us in, whatever. Then Nebuchadnezzar in 19 was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed, which really shows what's inside. He couldn't contain it. He lost his composure. Nebuchadnezzar can't even control his own emotions, let alone control a bunch of people in his kingdom. So he's just... He orders the fiery furnace to be heated up seven more times. I don't know about you, but I, I, I do have a gas stove at home. Hopefully I'll be able to keep it. I don't know what's going to happen. but <laughs> I, love, I love working with gas because it's so quick and easy to turn it off and on. And you only do it a little bit at a time. You don't, right? You don't turn it way up and the flame gets going. So when he did this, it was pretty, pretty hot. Why is he so mad? Well, because he thought he was being kind to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by giving them a second chance. And when his kindness in that second chance was disregarded, that just got under his skin really bad. And his rage was visual. See it in his face. And he turned the furnace up to an exploding heat. Exploding heat out of there. So much so that the mighty men were instantly killed. They bound them up um, and they threw them in. And as they threw them into the furnace, um, in verse 20, they ordered the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks and tunics and hats so they could catch fire a lot quicker um, in the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the fire overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they brought them near there. And this, three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the burning fiery furnace. So here they are, and they throw them in there, and they just kind of immediately... The flames, the heat, the whatever it was, immediately killed these men. Um, so it's, it's sad. It's a sad story. I know that's the part that Oliver said he liked the best. Um, but it's a cool story with that. Um, but it's an amazing story. Because God is also saying that I'm a God, that I am so powerful, I can take care of my people. Nebuchadnezzar, you're not such a great king. You can't even keep your own people safe. So in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar is just amazed. He's astonished. He rose up in haste and he declared to his cat, what, did we not cast three men in there? Yes, O king, three men went in there. And he answered, but I see four, four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
what a, what a, gosh. I mean, we have words to read it, but to actually experience something like that would have just been uh, no words to say anything, but he's, he's puzzled, he's, he's, he's shocked, um, he's, he's amazed that, of what he's seen in there. Now, probably the fourth, the fourth person, um, like sons of God, and then verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar does identify, him, 28, he identifies them as um, that God sent his angel in there to take care of him. So probably this was, was not a Christ appearance in the Old Testament, but I'm not going to argue with you on that. You can think that if you want. He calls them like sons of God here, and he refers to them as an angel there. The point is this, that God is with us when we go through trials. Or we have angels, or we have, th- we have what, I mean, he's with us all the time anyways, but sometimes he has the manifestation of an angel, because we can entertain angels and not know it, right? So, so he's got, he's with us. When we go through these things, um, He's with us. And this is a physical demonstration, a manifestation of the presence of God with us when we're in distress. God didn't just rescue them out of there. He was with them. He was with them. Emmanuel, God does dwell with his people. Remember a couple weeks ago? It was, oh, the wise men were saying, well, the gods don't dwell with us, so we don't know this. Our God does dwell with us. Oh, one of my favorite verses. There's so many. But this one, Romans 8, 38. Paul says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation, even burning fiery furnaces, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful uh, promise to, 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 to really own in your heart. Um, he is with us. Nothing can separate us from his love and his care of us. Isaiah 43, 1-3a. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. That's a command, you guys. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior." Notice that passage is not saying, I'm going to show you the route around the water. I'm going to show you the way to get around the furnace. He doesn't say that, does he? He said, I'm going to be with you when you're going to go through that. Why is that? It would be so much easier, God, if you just kind of kept all that stuff away from us. When we go through tribulations, when we have tribulations, when we go through trials... 
And that's what we should anticipate in life, by the way, you guys. We're promised those things, okay? Because when we go through those things, when we experience these things, that is when our faith is on display. If we don't ever do that, I can just say, yeah, I have faith in God. But when we go through those things, that is when people, that's when our faith is manifested. That's when our, our testimony is, is noticed by other people to a watching world. Um, and that's what we're here for, to be an ambassador for God. All right, let's wrap it up. In verse 26 to 30. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now, we've heard him say this before, haven't we? Come out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and all the officials gathered together. Let me make a point here. What can really gather people together is God. He's the one unifying thing that really has, unites people. And they gathered together and they saw the fire, had, not, had no power whatsoever over their bodies. The, the fire had no power over them. I love this part because all of us probably have sat by a campfire before, right? And said, oh, I've got to wash my hair tonight if I sit by the campfire because it'll smell like smoke, right? He was like this. Their hair didn't even smell like smoke. Their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of smoke had, was even upon them, even in their clothes. What an amazing thing. They were untouched by the fire. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, This is an amazing testimony. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, that's why we think it's not uh, Christ, and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. What a testimony to this man. The sad thing is even that's not going to turn his heart, as we're going to find out this next week, um, sovereign God, power, the providential care God has for his people, all the time, everywhere, we are finding out that he cares for us and he is with us. Why do we know that? The third O, the third omni. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere in the burning fiery furnace all the time. Wrap your head around that. He is present in all places at the same time. Nebuchadnezzar can't do that. No one else can do that. Only God. Are you getting the idea that God's kingdom is a lot more powerful than the kingdom that Satan's in charge of? kind of has to give us the idea that we're okay. He's going to take care of us. We don't need to panic. So he acknowledges this. King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges this, and he makes another decree. He loves to do that. Scribes come up, makes another decree. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <laughs> shall be torn limb to limb. 
and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of the Balak. Boy, that really backfired for those, those certain Chaldeans, didn't they? You know, they just kind of didn't work out quite so well for them. But maybe, who knows, that maybe they were in awe and said, wow, maybe we were wrong about these guys all along. Maybe there is something to this God that they serve. Nebuchadnezzar was impressed, but his heart was not changed. I bet you everyone in this room knows people who have said, yeah, God's pretty cool. Talked to someone this week. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but I'm just, you know, I'm not ready for that. I don't need that. Nebuchadnezzar, this next week, or the next two weeks when we come back, you're going to find out that he sinks pretty low. Pretty, pretty low. Pretty low. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. One day, one day soon, everyone will be forced to bow their knee before Christ the King. They won't all bow in a loving, honorable, in awe worship of him. It will be more of a bow, because every tongue will bow and every, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be a recognized acknowledgement for a lot of people but it won't be a, and I'm going to do that too. A confession at that point in history does not have the power for, to save. It will just be a recognition of reality, okay? I did have one more verse I wanted to read here, Isaiah 44. And, we'll, and then we'll sing the chorus of our song. He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. Omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Isaiah 44, 6 to 8. God says this about himself. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I read you what Satan said about him with his I am's, right? This is God. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid, for I, not, for I, I have not told you from the old and declared it, and you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I, I know not any. He is proclaiming himself, even though I fumbled through the reading of that, that there is no one like him. He alone is God. Thank you, God. We thank you. We bow, we bow before you in how amazing you are. Forgive us for when we doubt, when we fear, when we question, when we bend, Oh, Holy Spirit, give us the strength to live out the last days of our life from here on out, um, just resolved to serve only you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.